You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 17. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. He, who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Um, We are are looking at uh, Mark chapter 2, and... um, we read the whole passage there that you'll be looking at in your triplets, which is um, the... Oh, no, sorry. Uh, no, wrong. You're, no, you're not doing this at all. That's very confusing. <laughs> very confusing. No, no, you're doing this, sorry, in um, growth groups. You're doing the Mark Uncover material, which covers the passage that was read out, but I'm only covering uh, verses 1 to 12. And so that's, that should be a blessed... I'm just saying this, so it's a blessed relief when we get to verse 12, and yeah, we've been here 40 minutes, and he hasn't even got to verse 17 yet. Oh my gosh. So I can reassure you that it's, it ends at uh, verse 12. Um, and this evening, yes, we're looking at this passage, and we're asking the question, uh, what kind of authority, what kind of authority does Jesus have? Uh, the, the gospel, the good news, according to Mark, is all about Jesus and plumbing the depths of who he is. That's why last week was uh, what kind of king? And we're introduced to the idea that the good news is all about this coming king. And so we're just going to keep on digging in to who Christ is as we go through this, uh, this short series in Mark. So here's the question. What kind of authority does Jesus possess? Uh, he obviously um, is very authoritative, has a lot of power and influence, There's a quotable quote, a famous quote from a guy called H.G. Wells, an historian, and this is what he says. He says, I'm an historian. I'm not a believer. 
But I must confess, as an historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably at the, various, at the very centre of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. What, a, what a, an amazing thing to say, but it's not, it's not that unsurprising, is it, that he would say that. Um, but it does raise the question, why? Uh, why is Jesus such a dominant... We just take it for granted in the West. We just take it for granted. But it really is stunning that this penniless preacher in the first century, who was many viewed in that first century, was leading a cult. Uh, he, is, he is now easily, according to H.G. Wells, the most dominant figure in history. Why is it that uh, Judas Maccabee, who we were introduced to last week, got, he's got Hanukkah, um, but why, why is it that this, this uh, mighty warrior for the Jews, who they know really well, hardly anyone knows about, but just two centuries later, a guy who's claimed to do something similar, you know, cause a revolution to free God's people... Why is he so dominant? He's as ubiquitous as the McDonald's sign. He's like the Coca-Cola symbol is Jesus Christ. Why? How did he get like this? What kind of authority uh, does he have and why does it matter that he has this authority? Well, first of all, our first point tonight is, <clears throat> what kind of authority? Well, what we're looking at tonight is his authority to forgive. Jesus has the authority to forgive. I mean, we can see he has, has authority. Look here in, in uh, Mark chapter 2. Read with me. Have it open in front of you as we work through this passage tonight. But you can see that he has some sort of powerful draw, doesn't he? Just look there in chapter 2, verses uh, 1 and 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, come to his hometown. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So here comes Jesus. We know his message. We've already been introduced to his message. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Believe in the good news. That's his message. He's preaching it, fleshing out what it means for the kingdom to be near, for him to be the Messiah. That's what he's come to do, to preach, to proclaim that good news. But there's something so powerful about him that it's saying there's not even room outside of the house. Everyone is clamoring to be close to him. It's standing room only, and there's not even room to stand inside anymore. So people are trying to get a glimpse of this penniless preacher. And it's a little wonder, is it? Because he's gone through, it says in chapter 1 of Mark, he's gone around the place uh, healing people. Listen to what it says in chapter 1, verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So he was calling disciples. They immediately dropped their nets and followed him. Uh, he was preaching in such a way that they said he had authority and the teachers of the law were amazed and puzzled and, uh, and a bit sceptical and questioning. He was healing people. He was making a real stir. And so here they all are and he's preaching away. He has authority. It's clear. And then it says that a guy with an obvious need has come to this person who possesses power and authority. He has an obvious... They're so desperate to get to Jesus that they dig through the roof 
of the building that he's in to lower down their friend, it says there, who's a paralytic. The, the four friends bring him and lower this paralytic down before Jesus. And, and he has a clear and obvious need. He wants to walk again. Can you imagine how he felt anticipating what Jesus was going to say to him? A, a sort of, a, this is a very rough analogy, but um, a few years ago in Sydney, I remember reading about in the paper a guy who was so desperate to get the, the iPhone 10, forgive me, I'm so bad with tech, if this is not quite right, whatever, just, just work with me here. Uh, but it said that he, he lined up, he actually camped outside the Apple store in the middle of Sydney for 10 days because he wanted to be one of the first to receive the iPhone 10. But the funny thing about this story, well, a couple of things, funny thing though is that it was just a rumoured release date. He didn't know for sure. There was just this rumoured release date, I think of March 22nd or something like that. And so he'd lined up 10 days before to beat the crowd. He's some sort of tech vlogger and he was determined to get it. Uh, and sure enough, the days came down, that the date came and it wasn't the release date. <laughs> but he got an iPhone 8 instead. So that would be a bit of a letdown, I would imagine. Just imagine the letdown. I think what's also funny about that story is I would have mentioned another guy who's in the line with him who brought along a table to do his homework on because he said um, that made his mum happy. So I'm like, what? <laughs> Your mum would let you sleep in the middle of Sydney on the pavement, but as long as you're doing your homework, it's, it's okay. Really strange. Anyway, um, but just imagine that. Like, you, 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 you're so hungry for the iPhone 10. You go to this extraordinary length, and the letdown, the letdown. So that's just me trying to relate to the kids here in the room and say, so can, now, now can you kind of get how the paralytic must have felt? Look here, it, uh, as the paralytic is low, can you imagine the anticipation and what he's, what he's looking forward to? And Jesus looks down to him and what does he say? He says, doesn't he, to the paralysed man, he says, get up, take your mat and walk. He doesn't say that, does he? What he says is stunning. Read with me. Some men came bringing to him a paralysed man carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get to him, couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. They're desperate to get to Jesus. For obvious reasons, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, both now, in this room, in our context, you can feel how that might be seen as a really insensitive thing for Jesus to say, can't you? And for different reasons in the first century, it also would have felt pretty insensitive. For us now, in our cultural context... You just think of this guy, and, you, and I, I just immediately think of our, our values around privilege. Like, here is a man, right? Here is a man who lacks privilege. He's the lowest of the low. He's got no status in his society. He's got no political power or clout. He's got no ability to earn a living. He wouldn't have been able to, to, to work. He'd be thoroughly dependent on all those people around him. He would have been looked down upon. And Jesus has the gall. It's, like, it's, it's not quite like this, but it feels like a kind of a victim-blaming moment, right? Like, 
You, paralyzed man. Your sin is what's really wrong with you. That's a you problem. Not a context problem, not an external environment problem. It's not, it's not what's happening to you that's the problem. It's what you've done which is the problem with you. That's what I see, says Jesus. It feels almost cool. I think that's with our cultural lens. I don't think that that's how they really thought in the first century. But in the first century, here's where it would have seemed really insensitive. I mean, obviously, he's coming to be healed. It's obvious that's what he wants. It's a bit insensitive because that's what he's hungry for. And instead of giving him what he really wants and what all the crowd's expecting, he gives him forgiveness. So that alone feels a bit insensitive. But more than that, there was a strand of thinking in the first century among the Jews that that kind of curse may well be, is probably related to your sinfulness, your particular sinfulness. Why are you a paralysed man? Well, because you've done something wrong that you haven't repented of or something so bad that God is punishing you with this. That's what Job's friends were rebuked for in the book of Job, right, by God. So it, all that put together, it feels, it feels pretty insensitive, doesn't it? But the point that Jesus is making here, and there are a couple of points he seems to be making, the point here needs to be heard. We need to see and feel the weight of the point that Jesus is making. The first obvious thing that Jesus is, is saying is yes, not just for this paralysed man, but it's highlighted by the depth of his problem for the paralysed man, but for all human beings, our greatest problem is, isn't whatever we're struggling with in this world, in this life. It isn't. The greatest problem that we have is our own sin. It's, it's the real problem that we have to deal with in our life, somehow, some way, somewhere. That's the obvious point that Jesus is making. But something deeper is going on here. Because Jesus here, when he sees the paralyzed man, and it's, kind of, it's a bit of a subtle point and related to the first point. But you know, when Jesus, when Jesus sees the paralyzed man, he's not, he's not looking past the paralysis. He's not looking around it or overlooking the paralysis and just trying to make sort of a, a bit of a cheap point about the, the heaviness or the, you know, the real depravity of sin. No, when, when Jesus looks at the paralysed man, he sees deeply into his situation and he sees through the paralysis. He sees the paralysis. But he sees through it. He can see the root cause of all the destruction, all the hurt, all the chaos, all the suffering in this world. Jesus isn't ignoring his paralysis. He's, he's proclaiming, declaring the most compassionate thing he could possibly proclaim. He's saying, it ends here. I can see the suffering. And it has to end. For all people, for all time, everywhere. And that means sin has to go. 
There isn't a direct connection, Jesus is saying here, between the man's paralysis and his sins. He's not saying that at all. But there is an indirect connection, right? Do you see? There's an indirect connection between the paralysis of the man and his great need and sin. Sin has what has got us to this point at root. Listen to what um, Tim Keller says about this. He says it really beautifully, I think. Listen to what he says in his book, Reason for God. He says, Human beings are so integral to the fabric of things that when human beings turn from God, the entire warp and woof of the world unraveled. Disease, genetic disorders, famine, natural disasters, ageing and death itself are as much the result of sin as oppression, war, crime and violence. We have lost God's shalom, that is his peace, his resting place. We've lost it. We've lost it physically, we've lost it spiritually, we've lost it socially, psychologically, culturally. Because sin has corrupted the world, it's not just seen in war or fighting or thievery or abuse. I mean, of course it's seen in all those places, right? That's garden variety, really obvious sin. But no, look all around you, in every experience... That you have, that, that rips the carpet from beneath God's shalom, his peace, his Sabbath rest, his blessing on creation. Everything that, that corrodes that is because of sin. And it's humanity sin. Volcanoes, natural disasters. Because we were put as stewards over God's creation, when we... When we stood down from our role as stewards, as stewards over God's creation, the whole thing now groans and cracks because of our choice to sin against God and to give up that responsibility. And so Jesus sees this and he says, I want to usher in a whole new order. I see your suffering. This has to go. Son, your sins are forgiven. In that moment, Jesus is offering us like a backstage pass into a restricted area. He's saying, you know, son, your sins are forgiven. He's declaring something there really powerfully. He's saying, I know of a place, I know of a world where sin is no more. That's what he's speaking. That's what he's declaring. That's the implicit hope he's offering in that moment to the paralysed man. Yes, I can heal your paralysis right now, but you'll still die. You'll still be in a suffering, corrupted, broken world. But no, what about a better place altogether where people don't even know what paralysis is? Son, your sins are forgiven. I'm here to reverse the fall. That's what I'm here to do. What an amazing statement, right? What 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 a crazy thing for Jesus to say. What kind of authority? The authority to forgive. And what does it mean for him to have the authority to give? Uh, sorry, to, 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 to have the authority to forgive. Well, it means that he has the authority of God. Uh, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees here in this passage, are outraged at what they've just seen. <laughs> they can recognise in that moment what Jesus must be saying about himself. Son, your sins are forgiven. Where does he get off? Who can do that but God alone? Just imagine. Can you imagine 
what the Pharisees are thinking. It'd be like, just imagine you're, you're driving off campus uh, and, and uh, you're, you're going home and then someone drives up behind you and smashes into the back of you at the intersection there going onto Wellington Road and you, you, and, and, and you jump out and you're frustrated. You've just got a, maybe it's your parents' nice new car, an Audi or something. You jump out. What are you doing? And immediately you're, you're, you, know, you, you encounter this blubbering wreck. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's some guy and he's, he's an art student and he's, crying. he's got a bomby old car. And he's going, please, please. I, I'm so poor. I don't... I, 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 you know, this is a bomb of a car. Look at your beautiful Audi. You can obviously afford these things. I, I, I've got no insurance. My parents are going to kill me. I'm going to be flipping burgers for the next 10 years to pay this off. Please just let me go. Let me go. And you and your Audi and your engineering, you're kind of weighing up the situation. <laughs> and, um, and your friend who's next to you, your friend who's next to you goes, just steps in and goes, don't worry, all's forgiven. Just take off, just go. You're forgiven, go, go, get out of here, get out, go. go. You're, support, you're just a poor art student, we get it, go, get out of here. <laughs> and you're there, your friend just pardoned this person, and you're there going, what the heck? This is my Audi. This is my decision. And this is my social standing I want to flex. This is my power move I want to make. Let the art student grovel, I say. <laughs> you would say, what right do you have to forgive this person, right? And that's, and that's what the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, are rightly picking up. They're looking at Jesus saying, son, your sins are forgiven. They're going, where does he get off? What is sin? Sin is when we reject the godness of God. I guess there are lots of ways of defining it, but that's one way of defining it. Sin is when, you know, at, at base, what is sin? It's when we reject the godness of God. It's when we sort of you know, know there's a God, believe there's a God, or maybe we're suppressing the truth about God, whatever we're doing, but we're saying, yeah, maybe there's a God, um, but I don't know if I want that God to be my God. I mean, just... There are lots of ways of, that we put it right. There's, there's lots of ways that we view God that reveal our attitude towards him. And it's, and it, but what we're doing as human beings is crazy, isn't it? We think we've got a choice about God. There might be a God. I think there's a God. But I don't know if I want him to be my God. That's just not a logical... We've, we've done a terrible thing as human beings. And the offence is towards God. And it's for him to forgive or not to forgive or do with, you know, do that, do with that whatever he wants. And Jesus, of course, he is, he is. He knows what they're thinking. And it's true. He's God. That's, that's part of what the Gospel of Mark is wanting us to see. He, he is the king. He's the great king who's going to restore Israel and bring blessing to the whole world. But it's the God-man that can pull that off. It's the God-man who can be without corruption to free us from corruption. It's the God-man who can, who can deal with our greatest need, forgive sins, because he's God and he's man. That's why he can be a human representative, a human king, and bring about true, lasting revolution and restoration and freedom and blessing. It's because he's God. And so then he goes on to this, what seems like a bit of a funny riddle here. Look, look, look at what he says. 
Uh, I'll start from verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, he took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. They've just seen God face to face in the same room. It's a, it's a, it almost, if you think about that question that Jesus asked, it almost feels like a weird riddle, like what is easier to say to this man, get up, take your mat and walk, or son, your sins are forgiven. Like what is easier for him to say? Well, what Jesus is, is, is suggesting there is that it's easier to say, it's easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, but it's much harder to do. It's harder to say, get up, take your mat and walk, because it's immediately visible whether Jesus has the authority to do that or not. But it's actually, in fact, harder to do. But to try and cut through the cynicism, the scepticism of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, he says, get up, take your mat and walk. To demonstrate clearly as the power of God. And so what's the so what? What does this mean for us tonight? Let me land this. What does this mean for us? Well, the first obvious thing, I think, that we need to hear tonight is just that Jesus has got this. He really has. He's, he's got this. We all hunger, don't we? We all hunger for freedom. We all, to a certain extent, are fighting for a good life, to be blessed. We're all wrestling, some of us. We feel like we're wrestling with God for a blessing like Jacob wrestled with God. We're all, we, you know, we all have this sense of striving to overcome and to achieve and to get somewhere in life. But Jesus says here really powerfully, he doesn't know anything about the background of the paralytic. Well, I mean, he does because he's Jesus, he's God. He knows about the woman in the world, he knows about all her past history. But we don't. We, we as readers don't know anything about this paralyzed man or his past life all we see is on the spot forgiveness and the point here is that forgiveness has got nothing to do with your ability with your striving with your wrestling with your self-flagellation trying to be humble before god the more times i say sorry will i then be forgiven how how, if i just distance myself enough from the last time i sinned in a way that made me feel really bad and guilty and disconnected from god if i just have a week without doing that sin then i'll be right with god then i'll feel confident i'm a son or a daughter and here jesus is saying no it's all about me and my authority it's it's the, the forgiveness comes because i am god and i say you're forgiven What a blessing. 
Tonight, rejoice because if you've turned to Jesus and asked for forgiveness, no matter if you've just sinned half an hour ago in a way that makes you feel terrible and it's the 1,000th time you've committed that sin and you'll think, I'm such a feeble person. And the Bible says, in Jesus, you are free. He doesn't want you to have that relationship with sin anymore. Sin is bigger than you. No one in this room can defeat their own sin. It's not going to happen. Sin has so got us that Jesus has to come in and say, you're released from it. Got it? It's the only way out. It's the only way to the new creation and the blessing that I want to bring. I have to release you from it. And I can do it because I'm God. And it's all about me. It's not about you. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. A more beautiful few words have never been uttered. Treasure them. Meditate upon them. And secondly and finally, the priority of God is that now in this age, and even in the time of Jesus himself, notice this, The priority of God in Christ is that the main thing remains the main thing. He could have done, he still could, he could have done exactly the same thing in the reverse order. He comes with an obvious need, uh, get up, take a mat and walk. Oh, and by the way, your sins are forgiven. Something even better. But he deliberately did it the other way around because Jesus wants us to see that this is actually the big problem that we face. And even though Jesus performed all these miracles and all these healings, that's not why he came. He came to seek and save the lost, he says. I came to preach the good news that if you repent and believe, you can be a part of this kingdom. That's what he came to do. And so it's important to recognise that now in this age, in the age of preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth, the priority isn't healing the paralytic. And it's for a good reason. Because the good news isn't, first and foremost, the healing of paralysis or the freedom from any sort of corruption that's in this world because of sin. No, the good news is that sin is being dealt with powerfully on a second-by-second moment. And the most important thing for the Christian and the world to see is that we are sinners saved by grace. That's the message that has to ring out in the world. Of course it will mean, you know, in the age to come, healing from parallel. That's all this beautiful, wonderful stuff that's connected to it. But that's not what we need to know now. You might have heard that saying that um, God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves. God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves. And it's good to understand that right now, that we, we live with all the chaos and brokenness of him in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways right now, not just things like paralysis or our, our work colleague here on staff who has you know, Parkinson's disease. It's a horrible affliction. But in relationships that are constantly difficult, in sin that we can never seem to get on, on top of, all sorts of ways in which we are disrespected or abused. or There are just so many ways in which sin has its claws in us. And that's because God is permitting what he hates 
the chaos and the corruption to continue to achieve what he loves. That grace would be revealed in us, the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternity. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.